Well, here's the thing. It comes down to experimentation. So at the core of growth hacking is mastering the art of experimentation. And you wouldn't believe how many organizations I deal with who see experimentation classified as just R&D. And R&D is usually seen as like, oh, that's too expensive. We don't have the time for it. We already got a lot of the answers. We'll go hire a couple experts. We'll figure it out. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Hey everyone, if you've been following us on social media, you would have heard the announcements that Vision's book. Buddha and the Badass is coming up soon. Now, if you haven't picked up an advanced copy yet, I highly suggest you go and do that since it includes amazing bonuses and the exclusive preview of one of the initial chapters that you can get started right away. When you purchase a book in advance, we get to make this available to so many more people. And so if you're looking forward to being a superhuman and you love learning from Vishen Lakhiani, his new book, Buddha and the Badass, is going to be the best thing you can read in the coming months. So look at the links that we're going to put in the show notes so you can go and grab an advanced copy right now. Now, let's get started with our episode. Hey, everybody. This is Jason Campbell, and welcome back to Superhumans at Work. The guest that I have today is going to teach you an art that is so useful, especially in difficult times. See, when times are good, most people are looking at how do you continue growing in the linear way that most companies usually do. But yet, when we find ourselves in a crisis or in a crunch, we need to kind of find what are the right tools that we can use to grow exponentially. And the art that we're talking about here is growth hacking. If you've ever heard of this term, it is usually used within the marketing fields, but we wanted to break down exactly what does it mean, how to use it, and why is it so important, especially during these times. And the guest that I bring to speak about this is Nader Sibri, and he has been described as the guy that you don't want your competition to hire. The man is the former chief strategist for the Dubai Department of Economic Development. He has worked in the Foreign Investment Office. He's been the head of innovation, thought leadership at AT Kearney, and he advised customers. He has worked with Fortune 1000 companies. And get this, he's directly raised over $20 million for early stage venture capital and indirectly $100 million for startups he's either advised or co-founded. And one of the big projects he's working on right now is gettospace.com. It's a nonprofit organization with partnership with NASA where he's trying to get more people to be inspired to go to space. And one of the fascinating things he's done is actually get space technology companies actually to be profitable in a very short term by using his techniques around growth hacking. He's going to be with us sharing more about his story and how you can use the same tools to rapidly grow your company. Nader, thank you so much for being here. It's such a pleasure to have you. Jason, thank you very much for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here today. Nader, you just released a book, and this book was called Ready, Set, Growth Hack, and you really break down a beginner's guide to growth hacking success. So as we get started here, I kind of wanted to know what is growth hacking and what was your journey with discovering it? Sure. Well, it's basically 25 years of experience put into a blueprint that answers the question of how to grow and how to grow exponentially. So after building many companies over 25 years, I would sit back and ponder over why would some companies I would build would grow much faster than others, why some would fail and why some of them would never take off. And I started to identify some very specific patterns 
And in my last company, which was my NASA space certified company that I had sold January 2018, as I was building it, you know, this word growth hacking kept coming up. You know, I was dealing with all these guys in the valley and they're like, oh, you're a growth hacker. Like you found a way to get past this and you're managing to accelerate that. And so I became extremely excited about the idea and started to kind of research at the time. And I discovered that growth hacking, of course, was a buzzword at that time and largely related to marketing or digital marketing. As I discovered that the the topic, a lot like strategy, so as a strategist, I mean, it's been an emerging practice for decades. It's, it's not necessarily seen as a profession in itself, other than if you classify it as consulting, but that has many other connotations to it. So I found that there was the same elements with growth hacking. It was much broader than it just being a sales funnel or a lot broader than it just being a new digital marketing technique. It was actually, there are cases, as I put examples, that go far back as almost 40, 50 years ago, like McDonald's, traditional companies that had been growth hacking already. It wasn't obviously classified as that, but the example that I use about McDonald's is that they started building, and I repeat the keyword here, they started building their own billboards on freeways at exits within three kilometers or four kilometers, they would have a McDonald's restaurant that you can just drive through. And it was always the drive-through business that they were driving, people coming home and hungry. So they knew that that was the right time, the right place to hit them. And that was one of the ways that they were managing to grow exponentially. And their drive-through business has been around for half a century. <laughs> it's like one of those stories of this one metric they focused on and it just made everything explode, right? And so when I'm thinking about companies like McDonald's, I even think also more recently companies like Dropbox, I remember the story when they had this kind of waiting list to get it. Is it always about finding that one thing you can do that really gives you the win? Well, here's the thing. It comes down to experimentation. So at the core of growth hacking is mastering the art of experimentation. And you wouldn't believe how many organizations I deal with who see experimentation classified as just R&D. And R&D is usually seen as like, oh, that's too expensive. We don't have the time for it. We already got a lot of the answers. We'll go hire a couple experts. We'll figure it out. The reality is that when the mindset, so the beginning of the growth mindset is you need to step in and be like, okay, I actually don't know the answer how to grow, right? Once you step in that neutral mindset, then you're like, okay, now you're open to possibilities, right? And then you start to experiment with different things and then you identify a few different things. Of course, most of the experiments are failures, which is a brilliant part because in my book, I talk about what I call the fail, pass, learn system that encompasses how to actually turn into the failures and the things that actually succeed into growth hacks. So once you do that, you continue to experiment. And then all of a sudden, there will be that one thing that you identify through experiments. And I want to be very careful because I hate the thinking about something like a silver bullet because there's actually no silver bullet. And we've been conditioned like this as kids. There's always the superhero who saves the day. And when he saves the day, it's the narrative is like an absolute narrative. That's a scary thing because when we get into real life, that's not necessarily the case. But like you point out with Dropbox, there is that one thing that kicks it up several notches, right? It can be exponential in nature, but that in its own is never enough. And that's why experimentation when it comes to growth hacking is a muscle that you need to continuously practice. I have something called Growth Labs. It's an R&D area with 5,000 growth hackers. And we look at basically data around experimentation. And so we discovered the sweet spot when it comes to how much experimentation an organization should do is between 51 to 100 experiments. We base it on an ROI metric. So meaning I can go do 1,000 experiments and my ROI can definitely go up, but it's not necessarily proportionate to the actual tangible resources I can work with from 50 to 100 to actually get to a point where I can propel my growth. 
So we looked at detailed things like this because a lot of growth hackers would come to an organization and be like, well, okay, where do I start? So they know how to run the experiment, but how many experiments do I need to run? And so they use the data that we've developed to educate the CEOs and other people. You know, there are two types of experiments. There's validation versus discovery. 80% of experiments are validation experiments where 20% of them are discovery. They're two different things, but they actually, when combined in a proper format, they can be optimized to find some phenomenal growth hacks. Now, I find that when people are looking at growth hacking, it sounds like that exciting term. I've seen a lot of people put that as their job title or saying that's a skill set that they have. Yet what you're talking about is a grind of discovery, which I feel that if you're jumping into an organization, there needs to be a certain level of patience because I would assume that most of your experiments do fail. And so what do you see is kind of the, the winning communication that needs to happen within an organization for growth hack to be welcome? Yeah, that's a very good question. So there are three elements to an experiment. It's got to be fast, it's got to be cheap, and it's got to be simple because you're going to do many of them. So you already prepare and anticipate for failure from the beginning. When you do that, then you can develop a volume of experiments. And when you develop the volume of experiments, you can allocate resources in bulk. So when people are looking at a single experiment, like, oh, this experiment is going to cost $1,000 to do, and it's going to take X amount. And so that sounds a lot more dramatic than say, okay, we're actually planning to do 100 experiments, and they're going to cost us $50,000, but they can take us three to four months, and the expectations would look like this. And we know that from the data we've got, we would come up with at least three to four different growth hacks that would come out of this that can exponentially help us grow. The other thing that I like to point out is top line versus bottom line growth. So this is something we talk about in the book. So a typical organization or the way we've been conditioned going to business school is we should be always focused on the bottom line, right? We've heard that focus on the bottom line. And what's the bottom line? Bottom line measures like cost cutting, efficiency, optimization, restructuring, reorganization, re-strategizing. It's always got the re right in front of it, right? But the real growth comes from top line growth. So top line growth is roughly 1% of the effort of an organization. The remaining of the 99 is bottom line measures. Usually they're incremental. They do have a short-term sudden impact, but they don't necessarily have a long-term impact on the growth. Now, I'm not saying they don't work because ultimately as a growth hacker, you'll be combining both. But having a larger focus on the 1%, which is top line growth, and top line growth is essentially growing the gross revenue itself. That could be identifying new business models. It could be developing new revenue streams. It could be readjusting some of the revenue streams you already have so that the pot at the top is bigger. And then you can let the, all the bottom line measures take course so that you can actually improve it. So that's one of the mindset hurdles. I deal with a lot of large sort of corporations when I step into a board and I'm like, okay, so how much top line growth activity do you do? Oh, last year we restructured this. We got a new strategy and we got a new marketing plan and, and all kinds of things. Okay, but hang on, hang on, hang on, guys. What about top line? So top line, it requires quite a bit of innovation and it can be very painful. Generally, it's a more riskier approach. At least it's perceived to be a more riskier approach. But when you take a look at it from an aggregate perspective, the results that you'd actually get out of it versus what you'd put into it, it's actually a lot less riskier than completely focused on bottom line measures as they usually would. I forget who makes this quote. I feel like it's something along the lines of, if you let the people like from finance optimize everything within a business, they'll eventually turn off the lights in the office so they can cut costs there too. And in these times where, you know, a lot of people are focusing on making sure they refocus, reorganize and do all these bottom line things, especially in a time like the coronavirus, obviously shaking a lot of businesses. I feel like right now, more than ever, a lot of people have cut this kind of top line growth because they're stepping into survival mode. And I'd be curious to know, and I have an idea of what I think the answer is, what happens when an organization in times of crisis decides to go back and more aggressive on the growth hacking? Well, usually what happens is you heard the term like back to basics. 
I don't like calling it back to basics. I call it forward to basics. Okay. Forward basics, meaning we're not actually going backwards. We're actually going forward, but we're getting focused on the basics. And if you've noticed as individuals, actually, we're all sitting at home. We're now focused on family, health, food, like things that we were actually ignoring for such a long time. The same thing with a corporation. There's a lot of fat. There's a lot of things that they were just ignoring. And all of a sudden they've woken up and start to realize like, well, we don't necessarily need all this. And so they've had to re-strategize on how to refocus resources. So a good example, like Netflix, like they never expected this kind of throughput, right? Everyone's sitting watching Netflix. And so they were focused more on the content side, which is awesome. But then all of a sudden their infrastructure, like everybody else, like Zoom, everyone's infrastructure is being hit because they never had this much demand. So they've had to kind of flip to the other side. And it's almost like, well, shouldn't we have been looking at the basics of infrastructure to begin with? So that's why I call it forward to basics, right? So I've been having some very interesting talks on a macroeconomic level where I think some of the biggest things to come isn't artificial intelligence and blockchain, although they're important, they'll play an important role. But I think they're things like agriculture and food. The food supply chain, unfortunately, I hate to put it, but it's corrupted. It's not working well. Our immune systems are weak because the food system itself hasn't kept us strong enough that we can openly walk outside with a mask. You know, we don't need to necessarily rely on the medical infrastructure. So, you know, poor quality food seems to service the pharmaceutical and the health industry very well. I'm not trying to paint a conspiracy here, but I'm trying to put the facts and lay them out. The reason that I do that is that when I look forward to the future, I think that anything that is forward to basics is going to be really important. Food is going to be the top priority for most countries and many organizations are going to be looking how to solve that problem. So if I'm in an organization, I'm like, we've went forward to basics. I love how you frame that. In essence, we've looked at the essentials that we needed to fix in the time that we needed to pivot so that we have everything working in place. When we have a bit of space to try to innovate or maybe capture more market share, or maybe there's new opportunities that exist in these times, how would I get started with the growth hacking? Is this something that I would instill in a separate department? Would I tell some of my people in marketing to kind of have a different way of approaching business? How would I get started? Well, that's a good question. So there's a fundamental change. If you noticed that earlier in the interview, I talked about growth hacking as a discipline rather than it just being a practice. And so what I mean by that is if you take a look at unicorns, so there's roughly 400 unicorns globally. They're startup companies worth a billion dollars more and a quarter of them are worth $10 billion or more. If you look at their DNA, in their DNA, they have one thing that they all have in common. Growth hacking is the master discipline and then everything else subserves to it. So it wouldn't be marketing and then growth hacking. It'd be growth hacking and then underneath it would be marketing servicing and strategy servicing and administration servicing and R&D servicing. And so their true north would be growth, right? And so if nothing underneath it served towards growth, then it would be irrelevant. And so naturally they'd become very lean in their thinking and the way they actually implement things. So that's the difference between, and we found, I believe it's something like one and a half percent of Fortune 1000 companies are actually taking this shift where they're trying to shift growth. They're trying to prioritize it. So one of the biggest findings that I had when I started out with this was I would sit with CEOs and 85% of them, when I asked them, what are your top three priorities right now? Couldn't answer the question. Like literally just right now, what are your top three priorities? Now, it has nothing to do with intelligence, right? I just want to point out, it has everything to do with distractions, lack of clarification, a lot of disorganization, miscommunication. There's all the things that, that causes bubble that the leader himself is distracted and so the first thing I do with CEOs, I step back and say, let's develop our growth agenda. Our growth agenda is basically a point form agenda that tells us what is the most to least important thing based on our growth problem, which is going back and answering the question that you asked me right now. Where you start is the growth problem. You need to define and understand what the growth problem is, and then you need to break it down to its more micro level. It's a cause and effect, essentially, analysis. 
Once you figure that out and you find the golden nugget where you need to focus, then you start the growth hack. If you can't figure that out, you just start growth hacking randomly, which is what a lot of organizers, we just want more sales, right? So all of a sudden, you're not really getting exponential growth. You're back to incremental growth. And one of the important characteristics of growth hacking, if you look at it on a spectrum, you've got incremental growth, which is about 90 plus percent of how companies grow incrementally. And then on the other side, you've got the unique companies like the unicorns who grow hyper growth, exponential growth, right? And they do it differently because they got their priorities different. Their mindset towards growth is very different. They're ready and willing to change their structure and strategy within minutes in order to achieve, you know, solve a growth problem. Whereas other organizations have so much legacy or legacy even just in their mind. It doesn't mean that necessarily the power to actually change. They have the power to change. It's a mindset where, you know, we've always done it like this. Oh, we have very scary times ahead of us. And right now, I mean, bringing it into the COVID-19 context, I have a lot of companies that call me out and like, so what do we do right now? And I tell them, I'm going to give you the most counterintuitive advice I've given throughout my whole career. What you do is actually nothing. And they start laughing. Like, what do you mean nothing? I said, well, let me put it into an analogy. We're in a forest walking right now and there's 100% fog, right? If I take one step forward, I may hit a tree, I may fall in a hole, I may fall off a cliff, I may hit a branch. I don't know what's in front of me right now because we're in the transition phase of chaos right now, right? We're inside the chaos. And so what will happen is as the fog starts to simmer down a bit, some more visibility will come and we'll start to understand where we actually stand. And so all we can do between now and then is to prepare, become lean, keep strong, keep your eyes and ears open, keep alert. We have a lot of misinformation and fake news right now. It's horrific. It's scary. And it's unhumane, man. <laughs> what is happening to people's minds right now? Everything in the media is just COVID, COVID, COVID. And we know it's important, but there's these stories human stories that I hear every day about the power of generosity, the power of people helping other people. And it just never gets to the headlines because these are times when the best of people comes out and the worst of people comes out. We only see, unfortunately, too much of one side of the story. We need to let that simmer down a bit because we're not in control of that. And then we can start to really look at, you know, really big opportunities and relating that to growth. So from a growth hacking perspective, it actually doesn't really change anything. And the reason behind that is that the essence of growth hacking is mastering asymmetrical warfare. And asymmetrical warfare is a situation where the small guy wins. And the first thing people tell me like, oh, yeah, but the small guy never wins. And I say, well, what do you think of Dropbox is? It was a small guy. What do you think Google was? It was a small guy. IBM at some point and Microsoft. I mean, all these giants were all, you know, in an asymmetrical situation and they mastered asymmetrical warfare. And so in this particular situation, one thing's become more visible, understanding warfare mechanics, which I talk about obviously in my book, there are about six of them and how to use them. And then we talk about how to put your mindset and your tooling towards asymmetrical warfare. So one of the best examples, and we probably all hear this and I don't want to keep repeating, but the Airbnb story with the Craigslist, right? I mean, that is that is a perfect example of asymmetrical warfare. Amazon and Barnes and Noble. So Barnes and Noble used to be, you know, the big king of this thing. They were 100% bricks and mortar. And then Amazon came in, they took it over, and now Barnes & Noble is following them. And good for them that they've actually changed because many people in the industry didn't. They learned that there was a stronger player came to the game and they had to play the game with them. I feel like growth hacking kind of detects any trend in the market that people are looking to for something better where everybody else is comfortable. And you kind of hit the nail on the head, but then make it super easy for people to either discover, transact, refer, grow. It just seems like you find yourselves doing so many tests and then you realize like, ah, this is a particular need that people have. And when you keep repeating that, it just gets a wave of people coming in. Am I hitting this right? 
No, no, exactly. Yeah. So that's the part where you're hitting on is scalability. So scalability and full scale operations, which are two different things that many people get confused with. So if you're genuinely solving a problem, right, and people are just flocking to what you're doing because you're really genuinely solving the problem and adding value. Now you've got the problem of scale and automation, which go hand in hand. You can't have the one with the other. Scalability is essentially, it needs to be repeatable and it needs to be repeatable without distortion and it has to have longevity. So sometimes a growth hack can be repeatable, okay, but it has distortion. Distortion meaning I go from 100 times to 100,000 times and there's quality, there's distortion in the structure of the organization. And so what happens is that I can't really actually scale it. And then it hits the third part, which is basically the longevity of it is not as long as I thought it was. But if you hit these three things, so we talk about in the book, like here's the three things you need to achieve. It needs to be repeatable, repeatable without distortion, and it has to have longevity. Once you've got that, you create automation. Then is full-scale operations. So full-scale operations means that sometimes it can meet all those requirements, but it never works. Why? Now, if you're a small startup company, this is brilliant because your operations are already small, so there's very little integration. But with big organizations like Google, so I'll give you a good example. Sometimes Google will have a product and you go use it, you love it, but it doesn't integrate, right? Like I already gave you my email, my username, and you already have my profile. Why is it not populating in here? And so what you recognize is that this was actually built to scale, but it wasn't full-scale operations. Now, full-scale operations is basically a few options with it. One is that you can run it standalone, okay? The other way is you actually integrate it into the operations, or you find a hybrid between the two. Ideally, you'd always want it fully integrated. That's the most ideal scenario. In some cases, it gets toxic. And if it gets toxic, the strategic decision is spin it off. Let it be its own. Let it stand on its own so that it has the ability to have full-scale operations. So in essence, we're saying that a lot of times when you hit the nail on the head, things can get pretty chaotic pretty fast. And you want to be able to capture the momentum that comes in once you've actually found a strategy that brings a ton of top line revenue, brings a ton of top line users, whatever is the metrics that you're going for from the top line that you really want to grow. You want to make sure you have an infrastructure that can catch it. But I feel like this is like a future problem, yet you got to be prepared for it. Would you see scenarios where people are like, they're so almost afraid of their success that they don't go as aggressively into the testing? And is there a way to overcome that? Yeah, that happens all the time. It happens to me as well. So it's always like, yeah, I'm so afraid this is going to be so big that I can't do anything with it. But that's a good problem to have. <laughs> I can't word it in a more simpler way than that. And you need to have enough confidence that you can figure it out when you get there if it doesn't exist, right? And that's about being flexible, being nimble, and being agile, right? That's your ability to figure it out. And yes, there'll be a distortion in between. But as long as that you're able to fix it as quickly as possible, there's many things that you can anticipate in advance, but you will never have full 100% visibility. There will be that one little thing that you never thought of or never saw, and it just hits you, you know, the black swan. It's funny that we mentioned that because I had a group of strategists who were looking at the COVID-19 situation, and they were basically trying to come up with every possible variable. And I told them, well, well, the thing is the wild card or the black swan, right? You never saw this coming. What is it that you don't see coming with this as well? And that's the truth of scenario planning. So many years ago, when we used to do scenario planning, many people would always assume it's a what if statement, but that's actually just planning. That's actually not a scenario. A scenario is when variables that you cannot see take place. And then how do you respond to that in very, very simple terms? And so when I sit with these different groups trying to help them out with this kind of thing, you know, where they come back to the same style of thinking and it's a control freak thing, <laughs> you know, you want to control all these things, but you just can't, you need to flow, man. You need to flow because without flowing, you won't see the real opportunities. It's just that simple. That's beautiful. 
Nader, thank you so much for sharing us some amazing insights about growth hacking and even some additional topics here, just to think about the fundamentals of running the business and making it so relevant for these times as well. For everybody listening, we really just touched the surface about growth hacking, giving you a taste of how exciting it can be when you start looking at those top line metrics as opposed to those bottom line metrics, where you can try to find how do you test, how do you build these repeatable tests that are fast and efficient, that you know that once you can get an experiment that really allows you to scale. And there's a lot of examples that exist that you You've seen companies like Dropbox, we talked about Airbnb, these companies come out of nowhere and do something wonderful. It isn't because they just had the one idea and they applied it, it's because they had growth hacking as a discipline within their organization where they tested many times. And if you are talking to your managers about bringing this kind of discipline within your company, they have to understand that it requires a lot of discovery. There's a lot of failures, but predictably, once you have the habits that allow you to do a lot of testing that make you have an okay with some of these experiments failing, you will find some ideas that will allow you to grow exponentially, not linearly. And one of the advices that were shared here is that if you are bringing this growth hack discipline within your organization, you want it to sit at the top so that it actually is what's going to drive the mega levers for great growth within your department, your company. And with that, we also want to take into consideration that during these COVID times, yes, we are moving forward to the basics. There's the things you want to take care of. But once you've pivoted, you've taken care of the essentials, you don't want to just stay into survival mode. There's so much opportunity to thrive. And using a discipline like growth hacking could bring you to have the best opportunities we've ever seen in our lives. Pick up a copy of Ready, Set, Growth Hack, A Beginner's Guide to Growth Hacking Success with Nader Sabri. It is an amazing piece of literature that can get you ready for the future we have coming. Nader, thank you so much for sharing and everybody listening. Stay superhuman. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.